welcome back to another edition of Too Annoying with Bird and Cam. This is Bird and is always with me, Cam. Cam, how are we doing, dear? I'm good. I'm good. Um, living the dream, man. Living the dream. Yeah, you know, these are, these are very, uh... Trying times. Trying times. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was gonna... Last time that we recorded, uh... Seems like a lifetime ago, right? It was 2020, right? Yeah. Some kind of fucking <laughs> year, man. Some kind of fucking year. Well, guys, thank you so much for wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening. I hope that, you know, with everything, all the craziness that's going on in the world today, that for the next hour or so, we can, you know, keep your minds off of it, you know. This, uh, share, uh, share some other crazy stories there for you go. guys. Yeah, let's replace one crazy with another crazy. Perfect. It's perfect distraction. Yes, perfect. That is the word I was looking for. So we have a very uh, distinct barn burner for you guys. It's about a cold case, forty-four year old cold case, if you will, that was recently solved. You know, back in January, and it's something that in really the forensic community or criminal community that's becoming more of a phenomenon. This you're solving or you're cracking these cold cases or you're solving cases through these genealogy websites. 123 and me, uh, and like you're seeing like a lot of this shit. And you know, this is a very, very particular situation where something like this has happened. Like, is that how they caught the Golden State Killer, too? Yeah, that's how how they caught the Golden State Killer. And we're going to get into uh, more detail on how that process came about. Because that was kind of like where, well, everybody got, like, the, um, they got the blueprint. Oh, man, this is how we fucking do it. So everybody started doing like that. And this is kind of like, it got its inspiration in part from... The uh, this case that we're talking about, the unsolved, well, now solved murder of Pamela Maurer. Again, this happened in 1976, so 44 years. They solved it 44 years to the day that she was found. No, I don't think this is the one my dad knew because I think my dad was in high school. And I'm like, okay, 44 years, maybe he's 60, what, 62, 63? 62. Dad, you you don't look a day over 21. (laughs) (laughs) So he was in his. 20s maybe i don't know i don't know i'm gonna have to ask them again mm, mm. well that said guys um before we get underway cam can you hit the good folks with a disclaimer yes yes excellent so before everything we hope everyone's staying safe um washing their hands and after this pandemic's over keep please washing our hands um it's something we learn in kindergarten and we should take it with the rest of our lives. Definitely. You don't know, um, the only old damn pandemic <laughs> wanting to watch your hands. Please watch your hands regardless of a pandemic or not. Um, and to those who are affected and being affected, please be safe. You know, it is kind of, it is a concerning time. Um, and we want safety for everybody and everybody to stay healthy. Um, also, too, again, Bird and I are here just to do our job, um, and that's to report. Um, we find various articles through news articles, police reports, internet sources, um, so everything we say is information we found. If something is inaccurate or wrong, uh, you know, offensive to either side, 
just let us know. Hit us up on Birdman. Um, Birdman. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Hit us up <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> at Illinois with Bird and Cam. I almost had it. I'm thinking about Bird for president. So. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get that plug at the end of the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're here just to record and do our job and report. If there's anything that is inaccurate or wrong, do let us know. Reach out to us. Um, please don't take any medical advice from us. We're not doctors, but again, this is just information we find. So, yup. Well, that said, um, ready to do the damn thing? I'm ready to do the damn thing. So, our story starts... On the snowy Monday evening of January 12th, 1976, in Woodridge, Illinois, which is located in the west suburbs of Chicago. Page. 16-year-old Pamela Mara was spending time at a friend's house, and she had just left heading to a nearby McDonald's to get a Coke. Now, fun fact, Cam, did you know how much a McDonald's Coke cost in 1976? No, but weren't hamburgers like 35 cents? Mm-hmm. 15 or- fucking... So it costs 15 fucking cents to get a Coke. Now, I understand that we have to uh, adjust inflation and all that stuff, and that's probably like, what, a dollar two? Well, wait, wait. I guess the law of averages. But again, 15 cents for a fucking Coke. That'd be nice. <laughs> if I can only go I back in time, especially... actually drink Coke, up. then. Right. So, but Pamela is on her way to making this McDonald's run... But when she leaves out of her friend's house, it was the la- it would be the last time that anyone would see her alive. The next morning, her body was found alongside College Road in Lyle, Illinois, which was around five miles away from Woodridge. It was determined that she had been strangled and that she was sexually assaulted. And physical evidence was collected from the scene and preserved, and a murder investigation quickly went underway. And we have to assume that the Lyle Police Department uh, scoured up and up and around the area trying to pinpoint Pamela's location when she left her friend's residence and to the McDonald's. And a plethora of suspects were questioned, but nothing ever came of it. And just like that, the case went cold. And so, again, we have to remember that we have been taken in mind that when we cover cases involving crimes committed in know, the 1960s, 1970s, or even before that, murders were solved more than, were solved more when DNA advanced. Um, so before that, it was virtually unheard of at the time. So you do, if you guys hear older people talk about DNA not leaving, not plausible evidence, they're wrong. <laughs> I've heard it a couple times from people that's, that have said that DNA doesn't, doesn't count. Um, but anyways, DNA was virtually unheard of at this time. And actually, it wasn't until 1986 until DNA evidence was first resulted into a solved criminal case. And so I know before DNA, fingerprints left in the scene of the crime was pretty much the smoking gun that investigations had in the nailing the suspect. And I did note, too, it's not really a big thing anymore, but um, lie detectors, they were huge for such a long yeah. time. Um, but if you really want to get out of thought, 19th and even early the mid 20th century, law enforcement's um, pretty much believed and dictated by just the way someone's head was shaped was a crucial identifier on who or who wasn't more apt to commit a violent crime. And if you guys look at old history books, you'll you'll see prime examples of why this person could be a bad person versus another by shape of their head. 
So, that being said, I guess Jack the Ripper had the same head structure as Mr. Peanut from the Planter commercials, <laughs> based off of theory. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, as technology and common sense progressed over time, other methods actually came into play. So, footwear marks that could result in a footprint, items of the suspect, eyewitness accounts, eyewitness sketches, interrogation, the cognitive mannerisms of the suspect itself, CCT footage or video evidence, pretty much placing said the suspect near the scene or at the scene of the crime, and whether or not the suspect had a motive at the time, a means, an opportunity. And, and there wasn't an established database for processing DNA samples at this time, as we've pretty much been hammering the heads, nor also was there a National Center for Missing and Exploding Children or any organization in place. Hell, you're 20 years or so removed from the ambulance, so the times that we're dealing with is a different nature of the beast. And it gives me a greater appreciation for murders that were solved in this area, but at the same token, it makes you wonder of all the fuck-ups that resulted in wrongful imprisonments that were only exonerated by DNA, but, you know, that's another story for another day. So, in any case, Pamela's murder stupefied investigators. She had no known enemies. There was no aforementioned suspects that stuck out, no eyewitness accounts of her talking to anyone while on her walk. So the only hope that they did have in solving this murder was the evidence that was collected at the crime scene. So, in the last few years, Cam, we were talking about before we started recording, when we talked about a little in the beginning, we have this phenomenon of ancestry, my heritage, 23 and me, because also DNA doesn't also solve murders, but it also helps you trace your roots. You know, and you were just talking about before we were recording about how you your parents like, try these genealogical kits. I've never done any of this, so, like, could you, like, walk me again down how this shit is, like, how this works? Oh, okay, so, the, my mom was the one who did it first, because for as long as I can remember, I kept telling her she was the mailman child, um, because she would get so dark and so, like, just so dark in the summer that I was like, no way are you Polish. Like, no way. You, you gotta be Native American. Grandma did something, and it was just this ongoing joke, and, you know, finally, I don't know if it was a, probably a couple of years ago, my mom was like, I just took a DNA test, and we're like, what? And, you know, the phenomenon going around about, you know, DNA, ancestry, all that, and she, uh, she all, I think all she had to do was a swab in her mouth, and she just sent it on her way. Obviously, you had to be a little sterile and she just sent it on her way and then I don't remember what maybe four to six weeks later she got her results back and she was 93% Polish so I was 100% wrong so what was the 7% and the other percentage was like what what was the other 7% um like Scandinavian European so Polish oh I was hoping for a little and bit and then I was like okay I was hoping for a little bit no, that no, African it was 100% like <laughs> countries around Poland <laughs> so <laughs> then I was like that's cool like I always thought my dad was more the Polish individual and so for I think his father's day or his birthday I was like I'm gonna get him a DNA test to see and finally got around to doing it and again I think it was a swab one too I think they were like a hundred dollars maybe I, I'm sure they've gone up since then um and four to six weeks later he came back he was I think a little over 75 percent Polish and the rest was 
French, it was like 23% French settlers, which showed, like, it showed where we came from, like, from France, and we went up to Canada, so hence mm-hmm. French Canadian. Well, goddamn, how Barbeau is French, like, I can make that <laughs> So, it was Polish, French Canadian, and then, like, he was, a, the rest was Scandinavian, so we're mostly Polish, so there that's you go. Cool. It, all, it all evens itself out, that's what I'm talking about. And French, and French Canadian, don't forget that itty-bitty part. <laughs> yeah, I guess for me, it's just like, only thing I know is from DNA is, again, murders and the Maury show, like, you do the swap, and whether or not you're the <laughs> father or not, but one of the more peculiar yet beneficial happenings of this genealogy craze is that it's become this savant of cracking cold cases. Take, for instance, the Golden State Killer that we talked about in the beginning of the show. From 1974 to 1986, there was a serial killer in California that was responsible for strings of robberies, more than 100 in all, 50-plus rapes, and 13 murders, and had a consistent modus operandi in stalking and selecting his victims. However, despite hundreds of suspects, decades of investigations, and everything in between, the Golden State Killer successfully eluded the authorities. That is, until 2018. And so, at this time, the Ventura um, County Police Department, alongside the FBI, actually uploaded the killer's DNA profile from the Ventura County Rape Kit to a personal website, GD Match. And according to an April 27, 2018 article by the Sacramento Bee, that in, excuse me, that experiment resulted in 10 to 20 distant relatives of the Golden State Killers, which if you guys don't know can include, you know, cousins, nieces, nephews, your second twice removed sisters, brothers, goldfish, whatever. Um, but anyways, so this this experiment showed that there was 10 to 20 distant relatives of this Golden State Killer. And all these relatives shared the same great-great-great-grandparents. So, at this time, a large family tree was created, and after a long, long search, they were finally able to come to two suspects. And these two suspects were singled out. So, one of them actually was ruled out by relatives' DNA, and that left one more suspect, which was 72-year-old James D'Angelo, who actually happened to be a former police officer and U.S. Marine. <coughs> Excuse me, as the main suspect. I saw that call. As the main suspect. Sorry, Sophie just ran by. On April 18th, a DNA sample was secretly collected from the door handle of D'Angelo's car, along with another sample that was collected from a tissue found in his curbside garbage can. And once they were able to figure out all that, both of these matched to one person, and that was the Golden State Killer. So, James D'Angelo was arrested and charged with 13 murders, and just a few weeks ago agreed to plead guilty to avoid the death penalty. I mean, this is some truly next-level shit, Cam, because it's not as if, oh, you leave DNA at the scene of the crime, it's automatically assumed that it's going to solve a case right then and there. And it's like, as time progresses, the medical and technological marvels of DNA will be where it's becoming that much more essential to the eyes of law enforcement everywhere that in time, we can solve what had been considered once unsolvable. And a couple things, too, that I, I find 
fascinating with D'Angelo is that he wanted to avoid the death penalty, yet he gave these 13 victims no choice and right. killed them. And you and know, I my don't... thing is, because it's California, and if you get sentenced to death, and his own age... never going. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean... <laughs> that is in most counties, or most areas, I feel like, depending on the case. But, um... Anyways, what I found interesting, too, is a prime example of looking at DNA and how a small sample can make a huge thing is those Jurassic Park movies. Although they're very fictitious, um, the concept of taking that small of DNA is very real um, and being able to, you know, figure out the history of it. Um, So anyways, this brings us back to the cases of Pamela Moore. In 2001, DNA samples collected where Moore's body was found, and this was put into the FBI's combined DNA index system, also known as CODIS. So this is the United States National DNA Database. And at the time, the thought process was that once the evidence and sample was processed, there would be a hit in the system, and that the suspect who had the same DNA sample had committed similar crimes where either he or she had to give up their DNA, or just in general, if you're working in a certain sector, you have to provide your DNA. So, you know, usually law enforcement or things with high grades. Um, But however, at this time, there were no hits in the Mara investigation, and that went on for about 20 years. So, last year, the Lyle Police Department and the state's attorney, inspired by what happened with the Golden State Killer, had advanced DNA testing and analysis done by um, Parabone Nanolabs. Yeah, there we go. Sorry. Look at you getting it right. All right, the first time. I know. I was like, I don't know why I act like I can see anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I really do need glasses. I just don't want to get them. Uh. Um, The analysis created a snapshot prediction for traits such as the killer's eye color, hair color, skin color, and face shape. So this also provided a composite drawing. And from there they were able to pull their findings pretty much into a public genealogy database. And like it, guess what? It was D'Angelo, a family tree consisting, just like it was with D'Angelo, it was a family tree consisting of the Lindals, which was Trace. And of the course of the process of elimination, they had narrowed it down to Bruce Lindholm. So let's talk about this guy. Um, He was born on January 29th. 1953 in St. Charles, Illinois, and attended Downers Grove High School, graduating in 1971. Uh, afterwards, he becomes an auto shop uh, teacher at Caneland Vocational High School in Maple Park, Illinois, and as time progressed, Lynn Hall moved around to Chicago, to Downers Grove, to Lyle, to Naperville, and Aurora. And Lynn Hall was described by many counts as a very charismatic man, very sociable, who enjoyed skydiving and going out to bars and restaurants. However, he had a peculiar history with law enforcement. I mean, in fact, in 1978, the Aurora Police Department awarded Lynn Hall a plaque for helping a 19-year-old woman who had been injured by a hit-and-run driver. So from all accounts, you have this appearance of this well-to-do average man who more or less is contributing positively to society. But through although all of that, and despite the fact that he never had any felony on his records, he was known to various police departments in the areas that he lived, and not for good reasons. 
1976, he was arrested for growing marijuana plants in his home and would have multiple run-ins with the law in the years progressed for petty to low-level violent offenses. But it was the horror that the police didn't know that would really be telling. Um, in 1979, Annette Lazar was on her way to a friend's house in Aurora. Suddenly, a car pulled up to her. The stranger later to be revealed to be Bruce Lynn Hall asked if Annette wanted to buy some weed, that sticky-icky weed, to which she said <laughs> yes. very yum-yum. Yeah, so as a purveyor, purveyor of weed, Cam, and be honest with me, if someone just strolled up and offered some Mary Jane, you're taking it, are you not? Um, I've had it happen to me before, and I absolutely did not take it. Look at that stranger danger. Um, you know. Again, because, yes, exactly, because the situation, it was stranger danger. It was, you don't know who that person is, mm -hmm. um, especially, too, when the person rolls up with a family, like, with kids and shit, and, like, it was weird. It was real weird, and, like, they popped up out of this van, and we were just like, it was in Springfield, actually. It was right. actually in Springfield. Surprise. And, hey, lots of drugs. Like, in the creepiest way. We were just walking down 6th Street. We were by, um, we were actually right by the curve. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that's why we were walking. Um, and it was just, it was creepy. It was so creepy. I was like, mm, hard pass. I'm okay. Wow. Yeah, I've actually, um, I've actually got into a van where, well, I was with a friend, a mutual friend, uh, mutual drinking buddy, if you will, and she, I'm not going to put name to name to out the person, but she was, we're outside, she sees a, an acquaintance or something, she didn't know him really well, but he's like, hey, I got some drugs, and I've seen enough SVU episodes to see if she goes by herself, because she's going to go, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to go with you. Because, again, I've seen way too many SVU episodes to see where this is going to go. If you dying, I'm dying, too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I'm in this car with a strange guy. I'm thinking, man, something else is going to something is gonna go down. And to my surprise, he gives her the drugs, and we go out on our merry way. So, yeah. Maybe maybe she knew he was, like, a, I'm assuming it's UIS, the U is drug dealer. One of the U is drug dealers, I'm assuming. <laughs> So, so in this case, Annette does take Lynn Hall on his offer, and she follows him to his near to a nearby house into the basement. Uh, well, it was his apartment, where the man shows her, or Bruce Lynn Hall shows her his pet falcon, and suddenly things just goes wrong. Now I don't know why I put the pet falcon, what? but this is from her recollection. What? Where does the pet falcon come from? I Maybe that's how he got her in. He's like, yo, I got a pet falcon. You never know. That's crazy, man. I mean, as soon as he said, let's go to my house, I would have been like, mm -mm, hard pass. But anyway, suddenly, Linhall grabbed Annette around the neck and forced her into the bedroom, excuse me, bedroom at gunpoint. Linhall not only ripped off Annette's pants, from there, he comprehended that he's too physically powerful to the point she wouldn't be able to fight him off. And she's going to have to listen to his whims, and she's going to have to endure being sexually assaulted if it meant she was going to be alive. And as she was laying on the bedroom mattress, she thought of a great, brilliant, actually, she flattered Linhall on his looks, and she actually offered to be his girlfriend if that meant she could leave. So what she recalled was, 
She wrote her name and number on a piece of paper and gave it to Lindholm to pretty much keep up this ruse that she was infatuated with him. And that gamble paid off. Lindholm allowed her to leave, and immediately she went to the hospital for a rape kit um, test, and she reported the incident to the police. Now, Lindholm told police that Annette was his girlfriend, and he showed them the paper with her name and number as proof. He then, or she, excuse me, Annette then said, I told him I was going to call the police, and he told me to go ahead. He said no one would ever believe me because he lived with the cop. And that's exactly what happened. All the authorities uh, brushed off Annette and all her complaints. So, I mean, kind of just kind of like just assess that right there. I just, okay, so she was clearly... She was clearly raped, so there's evidence right there that it happened. Right. And, okay, first off, I would have given a fake phone number. But girls give out phone numbers all the fucking time. It does not mean we're your girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Like, the amount of pieces of papers, and before people had cell phones, you got phone numbers all the time. Like, I, I just don't understand, you know, maybe this is before the time of, like, you know, abuse was behind closed doors. Nobody talked about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there was there's families at, around this time that believe that, well, she asked for it because she looked that way. And it's just frustrating to hear that everything she went through and nobody believed her. Yeah. It's, and it's, it just makes me really angry. <laughs> and it's just a sad reminder of how sexual assault was treated you know, and especially in those days. And it still is treated. Yeah. And it's still like that too. I know many people who have been sexually assaulted and have tried to go through the proper steps of the court system to get it taken care of. And the amount of times that they have to relive that moment and mm-hmm. talk about that moment compared to the offender is ridiculous. Yep. The amount of times that the, the offender can, can have the lawyer just keep pushing off the court date is fucking ridiculous. And it's not fair because the person who goes through it has to constantly live with that. And it's like, it's no big deal. And eventually most of them have to drop it because they don't have the money for to continue yeah. the, the court. I think it's and something, it, it's, it's something that a, hey, I'm bad to cut you off dear, but it's something that, uh, the what's statistic. And it's always this, you know, it's jarring that for every sex, every sexual assault, Six percent uh, of these incidents result in a conviction. So six percent. Six percent. So in essence, you have a ninety-four percent chance of getting away with this shit. I, I don't know how that's it, if it's that reported. That is just fucking depressing. And and here's the thing: that's if it's reported. If, if it's reported, women, exactly. That don't report it because. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to. They got beat up. Uh, somebody says they're going to kill their family. It's only things that are reported. Yep. Every day people, especially women and um, people who fall under that gender role, um, they get sexually harassed daily. Like It's a normal thing from when I got in high school. Actually, before high school, I would get catcalled. And I'm in eighth grade. I don't know what that shit means. Right. But I have to go out every day worrying about my my surroundings and what if somebody tries to jump me? What if somebody tries to come this way? I have to have keys between my fingers just in case so I have something to stab with someone. Things like that. Women carry tasers, pepper spray. All for protection. And 
I know there's other individuals out there as well, but it's just frustrating because it is a very common thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's one of those things. And again, I've, you know, I've been on the end of someone near and dear to me, uh, was assaulted and trying to go in those parameters of doing due process and making my statement to, you know, the police in in their investigation. And eventually it got stonewalled and it was just, I'll tell you this, it was so fucking frustrating. And it's just like, we're doing everything we can. We're trying to get justice. And it's just... It, it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Exactly. So I'm I definitely definitely with you on that. The people that, you know, go to the hospital for, you know, a rape test too, they, they get everything taken away from them. Yep. They literally leave in a fucking paper, paper dress because... All those things need to be evident. So not only are you, is your trust taken away and you're assaulted, but people who are supposed to help you, it's like it's brushed off, like it's not a big deal, and it's okay. not okay. It's not okay. Definitely. So then we fast forward to June 23rd, 1980. Now, Linda Hall was arrested on charges of aggravated kidnapping, rape, and deviant sexual assault of Deborah Colliander. Now, Linda Hall encountered Deborah at the Northgate Shopping Center in Arroyo as she was locking her bicycle outside the mall. Linda Hall had asked her to help him to start his car. She had rebuffed his request originally at first, but then agreed to help when Linda Hall asked if she would step on the gas pedal while he worked on the engine. And when she got in the car, Linda Hall pulled off a sharp object, held it to her neck, and drove off. And so he took her against her will from the mall to his house while threatening her with a gun, and he sexually assaulted her. And when he was finished, he took photographs of her as a memento. Now keep that tidbit in mind as we move forward. Fortunately, she escaped as Lynn Hall was asleep, albeit naked, from his clutches shortly thereafter, and Deborah runs into Karen Weeks Kozman, who lived down the street from Lynn Hall. They eventually go to the police, who were able to apprehend Lynn Hall, but however... Just a few months later, on October 7, 1980, just days before she was scheduled to testify against Bruce Linhall as his trial started, Deborah Colliander left her shift working at the Copley Hospital located in Aurora. She was never seen alive again. On April 28, 1982, just 18 months after she disappeared, the remains of Colliander were found in an abandoned farm in Oswego. The cause of death was cannot be determined. However, a coroner who performed the autopsy ruled it a homicide. That's terrifying. Yeah. And that's another thing, too. Most people don't come forward because they disappear. Yeah. So as for her rape trial, the case was dismissed in March 1981. As the conviction relied heavily upon her testimony. So, as we talked earlier about those pictures that were taken, so remember that. Now we're talking about 1981. When you took pictures at that time, most of those motherfuckers had to be developed at Walmart or Jewel Osco or... I remember those days, yeah. Walgreens nowadays. Um, But, in this case, these photos were already processed by the time police get there. So that's, right there, a piece of evidence that corroborates Deborah Col- Coleander's testimony, even though she's not there. Right. However, 
the defense may have argued that, that it was consent, a consensual look encounter. And again, her photos were, oh, I'm sorry. And again, Collier was not there to argue otherwise. And maybe that was the angle that would have been perfect. Or, my God, why can perfect I not talk to her? Yeah. I How long that you, you've been working like nine, eight hours and shit? Oh, man. Anyway, You're an essential okay. employee. But then we'll have to be like, you know, you need unique. We'll have to do Ron Burgundy things beforehand because I can't talk today. Um, but anyways, Lyndon Hall ends up getting away with this. And it would, again, come out much later that a friend of Lyndon Hall's told the police that Lyndon Hall told him that Colleander didn't did not appear in court and he would get out of it. And which is kind of a weird foreshadowing if you didn't know where she went so yeah yeah but that celebration will be short-lived for lynn hall and you know cam there's something that i always like to call street justice garbage the law of averages plays itself out there's nothing uh i mean there's nothing more better in my mind than eye for an eye i don't give a fuck if it makes the whole world blind fuck you gunny because you're a race too but that said on April 4th, but that's not my tea today. Yeah. On April 4th, 1981, just less than a month after escaping a rape trial and possible conviction, Lynn Hall met 18-year-old Charles Hoover. Uh, the two socialized. Uh, they eventually went back to Lynn Hall's apartment in Naperville. And again, we would mention earlier that Lynn Hall would travel periodically as he was just in Royal a year before, less than a year before the rape of Deborah Colliander occurred. So he meets up with this Hubert character. Things snowball just horribly wrong. And when it's all said and done, Charles Luber is laying dead in this apartment, stabbed 28 times. Now you're going to ask yourself, self, what the fuck does he mean when he says street justice? You just talked about a man committing a murder and probably getting away with it. Well, folks... As Bruce Lynn Hall is stabbing away at Charles Huber, he accidentally slashes his leg, and guess what? It hit an artery! That's what you get, bitch! Ooh, so just like that, when Huber is found, who is laying right next to him, but Bruce Lynn Hall, who bleeds out to his death. You get the same energy that you put out, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's the moral of this story, or moral of this little episode, but... So back to series now. Police are combing out this this crime scene, and they see photographs of these women naked. Remember, we were talking about these photos, uh, and as it would turn out, many of these women cam were murdered victims between 1974 to 1981, nearly a dozen of them. So, as it turns out, you're dealing with a potential fucking serial killer. If we only discussed maybe a handful of the rapes he did in what, two two of the murders? Right. And we don't know his history his history growing up. That's the scary we don't thing. know his history in between what other people reported. So it is a prime example that if you don't report something, we don't know if he'll ever be found. And we don't even know I mean, honestly, they should have looked at these photographs because I'm pretty sure the women in these photographs weren't smiling. Right, right. After being assaulted, like, mm-hmm. 
I'm sure you saw more fear in their eyes. And I would just, I would love to know what this guy's story was growing up for him to have such hatred yeah. for everybody. You know, no, at first I, I thought it was just women, but I mean, Charles was not a woman. So I, I don't know why he hated women, why he hated men, why he why needed hate to have yeah. that power. Right. It's just confusing. But anyway, sorry, going down this black hole. Um, so nearly 40 years later, as we were saying earlier, we have this genealogy experiment underway. And after all this time, you have a possible hit cracking this unsolved murder of Pamela Moore. The Lyle Police Department was granted permission to exhume the body of Bruce Lindahl on November 6, 2019. They actually took DNA samples and compared them to a DNA collected from Pamela's body. And that is, what, almost 30 years later? 40 oh, nearly. 40, sorry. We're talking, we're talking. 40 years later. 40, so you have 44 years since this crime was committed. And 44 people. DNA doesn't go away. Right. But like we were saying, that DNA that was collected 43 years ago from Pamela's body, the results of the test came in and it showed that a chance that a random person that would be a match was 1 in 1.8 quadrillion. So... It's pretty easy to say that Lindhall was the candidate that murdered her. Mm-hmm. And just like that, that 44-year-old case of Pamela Moyer was solved. And Lindhall, like we stated earlier, was best summed up as a caveman whose, I guess it was a sexual appetite that included yeah. raping women and young men. And, and it later led to this crazy urge to kill. I don't know if it was an, an, his animalistic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, Chief James Teal said in the Aurora Beacon News in 1980s, if you saw Lindhall in a store, you'd think he was a cool guy, an average dude. And Lynette, or uh, Lynette, oh my God, Annette Lazar, the woman who survived being kidnapped and ended up being raped by Lindhall, said to the Chicago Tribune earlier in January that he was friendly, but when he showed that he was really about, it was frightening because you knew he meant to kill. Yeah. And he does, and the, the photos that we look at, he looks like, I mean, that last photo, he's got some crazy eyes in it. We'll have to post these photos. Oh, but yeah. I think, he looks like a normal dude, mm-hmm. like a normal. Oh, definitely. There's nothing other than that last photo where he, he's got some crazy eyes that looks like he'd be a serial killer. Right. So, um, the Lyle Police Department, uh... And then and the district state's attorney had held a press conference 44 years to the day that Pamela Maher was found strangled to death. And they reported their findings and they reported the process in nabbing Bruce Lindhorn. And just a quick note on Deborah Collender. When she was found, now I think if the, the general uh, assumption is that he killed colander again because the state of which her body was found because you have the elements there was no dna that was collect that was able to be collected from that crime well, you scene. said it was a homicide did they were they to determine what like how like how the homicide happened or she just died well yeah that's the thing because again if they have now, if it turns with all the, the the bones, bone denture, and they can determine 
uh, blunt force trauma because I've seen that in cases before. Uh, he had to, the coroner had to do something to say, oh, it was a homicide, even though the cause of death wasn't able to be located. But I think it's just one of those, it's one of those deals where we know that this man is responsible for at least over 10 murders or so. So there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that is heavy. Uh, you can't press, preface that enough. Heavy circumstantial evidence that is uh, leading Bruce Lynn Hall to the murder of Deborah Collender. Um, we talk about motive and we talk about means and we talk about opportunity. It fits this guy to a bill, but we you know with the DNA, you know, it's one of those things that it's not definitive. So I think that was kind of like yeah, that, that the, the the whole epilogue on that end. But yeah, I mean, that's the, it's a lot of takeaways from this case. Uh, chief among them, again, and is... And it wasn't the, a very... Yo, yo, yo. Oh, okay. I was like, wait. <laughs> I was like, silence. Um, I was just like, oh. And okay. what's fascinating about this? Oh, 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 like I don't know if you're. Fr I'm freezing, or you're freezing, but no, I'm here. It's, yeah. It, 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 it's curious because, you know, I don't recall this being a breakthrough case. Right. You know, I I 100 think he was a serial killer, but for being a serial killer that has at least a dozen photos of women that are known as missing or murdered, he does not have a lot of publicity. Yeah. Compared and to I'm, the Golden State Killer and all those murders in those times. Because kill, he, killed, he killed just as many as the Golden State Killer. But, like, is it because they couldn't connect it? Is it, like... I don't know. It just blows my mind. But here's that the scary thing: he he could be responsible for many more. That's just the murders that they think that he knows of, that 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 he may have been responsible for that they tied him to. Who knows when you know? Because this is still an ongoing thing in terms of trying to tie in the terms of missing women, young women uh, who disappeared around this time frame. Because you're talking about. From 1974 to 1981, add in the fact that he moved around, and you're talking about the greater Chicago metro metropolitan area, where but it's you all have general same counties. It's all they're all next to each other. Whereas, like, maybe it's because California's twice her size. I don't know. Right. Um. Maybe they didn't think that. You know the same murderer in Chicago would go out to the suburbs, but I just feel like, how could you not? Like, they're so close to each other. It's not like it's a county up up north and a county all the way down south. It's like they're right next to each other. Right. All these towns are right next to each other. Yeah. I just think what's very fascinating for me is, again, we see all of these, especially true crime buffs, and the wonders of DNA. And now we're seeing how this craze, this pop culture craze, if, uh, craze, if you will, these last few years, just this finding your roots and this Ancestry.com and all these things 
and look at how of an effective tool that law enforcement is using it to crack these cases. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's, I'm, maybe it's because we love to talk about murder, but I'm kind of excited to see where everything goes because we're going to have new stories to talk about and they're going to be mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, again, we've been doing, we've been doing this podcast in 2018. You know, we did, even like I said, we do, do, down the road, we'll do an unsolved murder with the hopes that someday it gets solved. But I mean, something like this, this happened, this, this happened back in November. This was announced in January of this year. So, I mean, it's just very, it's, it's very fascinating, very, you know, awesome to see the wonders of DNA coming through again. It's an absolute Exactly. And this is until they can figure out time travel and all that shit. This is probably the best closed case type of evidence you can have. DNA. Oh, definitely. Definitely. 100%. Other than you confessing straight up and being like, I did it, DNA is it. Yeah. Yeah. So... That is the case of Pamela Mara uh, and Bruce Lindhall. Um, again, just very, very fucking fascinating. Um, so we've been, and as we um, are closing up, Cam's uh, audios kind of went haywire. If it's going to happen, then shit, might as well do are we closing up. Um, guys, thank you so much for you know allowing us to, I guess, distract you with everything that has been going on in the world right now, I guess, you know, to kind of give a little breather, just take your mind off things a little. Um, we will be back sooner rather than later. I know we always say that. But I mean, now we got, we're fucking quarantined. Well, I'm quarantined and Cameron has to work fucking fast. So I know she's got to be an essential employee and shit. But we will be back shortly before we know it. We have some barn burners set up for you down the road. Um, you can find Cam on Instagram, on Barbo Ho. She's not a hoe, but that's how she spells it. Barbo Ho on IG. You can find her on the Book of Face on Cam E. Period Rin. And you can find her on the Twitter on I Like Stuff 630. Did I get it? She's, you gotta shake my head. Shake your head if I got it right. I got it right. I know. I know. I like stuff. 630. You can find me on the Book of Face on Alex Camp. I'm retired. The Birdman Iceberg name. You can find me on Instagram on The World According to Alex Camp. Change that one too. And you can find me on Twitter. The Twitter for Birdman for America. I know Cam alluded to. Um, hey, man. We're running for. I'm running for president with this motherfucker. Uh, November. Hey, you vote for this. This is the Bird, Birdman Barbo ticket. 2020. I mean, with all the shit that's been going on, shit, we might as well be better running off this fucking country. But that's another story for another day. Guys, thank you so much for sticking in with us. Um, we can't thank you guys enough for supporting us. This is Kelanoi for Bird. Well, for Cam, this is Bird. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Stay safe. Wash those fucking hands. And we will be back before you know it. This is Kelanoi with Bird and Cam. Be there or be killed. Bitches.